sometimes. The best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 265. Well, back home from Providence from the Northeast Amateur, had a little travel issues getting back home, but uh, here safe and sound, have a little bit of a breather before heading back out on the road. Next stop is the Palmetto Amateur in Aiken, South Carolina. So while I have a few days here in South Florida, I'm going to do my best to get caught up on some episodes that need to get posted, many more that need to get recorded, and of course get more merch sent out to everyone that has been buying it up lately. I greatly appreciate everyone's support of the Back of the Range. Remember, go check out thebackoftherange.com to pick up any hats, shirts, visors, you name it, it's there. So my guest on this episode is Dylan Minetti. He's currently in the air flying to Geneva to represent the United States at the Palmer Cup, but we were able to carve out some time to chat about his performance at the Northeast Amateur that was, well, it was stunning. Not because Dylan came out of nowhere. He was, in fact, the defending champion. But he destroyed the tournament record this year by four. He won by nine and left everyone at Wanamoisa Country Club, the members, the staff, the players, kind of shaking their heads. Dylan isn't a bomber. He wasn't driving greens and hitting eight irons into par fives. Dylan is actually kind of old school. His swing doesn't look like everyone else's. He shapes shots a little bit more than the average collegiate player. He relies on his hands and good timing. And when he's on, well, this is what happens. Dylan has been on a bit of a roll since the spring where he captured individual wins at the Valspar and the Western Intercollegiate. We spoke about his start in the game, the national championship that he won with Pepperdine, and also the change in scenery for Dylan starting this fall as he has transferred to the University of North Carolina. So he joins David Ford, Austin Greaser, Ryan Burnett, Peter Fountain. That could be a very strong team next season. Before getting started with this episode, a quick thank you to Ben Tuttle from the Northeast Amateur, Bob Ward from the Rhode Island Golf Association for their hospitality while I was in town for the Northeast Amateur. This is a very special place and tournament. It was so much fun to see so many familiar faces, and I hope to return again next year to visit the new friends that I made on this trip. So let's jump right into this episode. Dylan, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Good. How are you? I know. I mean, I know you miss me terribly. You haven't seen me in literally like 24 hours. Uh, you had to fly all the way to San Diego get, to get home. And through uh, through some flight delays, I've managed to make it to South Florida. But uh, uh, I didn't have the, exactly the nightmare situation of travel. But how was your trip back home? It was actually really good. You know, really smooth. One direct flight. So that was really nice. But we get to San Diego and it takes 45 minutes for my golf bag to come. So, I mean, all this time been waiting in the plane and all this stuff is just aggravating just to wait another 45 minutes at the airport. But that's just how life is. I don't think people, I mean, you're coming in from Providence, uh, coming in from, uh, you know, capturing your second straight Northeast Amateur Championship. We will talk about that in a little later. But, I, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm seeing I had um, I had Herman Secney from Purdue, Cole Bradley from Purdue on my flight. Uh, Gordon Sargent's dad was on my flight. Um, 
Brett Roberts' mom was on my flight, hooked me up with the, with with a ride. I mean, thank you to her. But like, it's, it was kind of funny. I'm seeing all these guys on on the on my flight, and one of the things that probably doesn't get talked about a lot during the summer of amateur golf, bouncing from tournament to tournament and travel, and then also throw in Palmer Cup for you. How crazy is it to kind of get? I mean, keep track of the golf bags, pack everything you need, and then also you go to these tournaments that give you stuff. I mean, it's it's first world problems, but it is kind of an issue you got to figure out, right? Yeah, for sure. So going into Sunny Hana, I brought one dozen balls, and through the culmination of two events, I had five coming out. So my bag was extremely heavy. Thankfully, today they didn't measure it at the like check-in station at TSA, or we'd have to pay the extra fee. But he's like, "Oh yeah, you're good." So you know, I'm just getting his first class treatment everywhere. It seems like you should have given um, that guy a dozen golf balls. That's what you should have done. I mean, like <laughs> I should have. So, um, so you're just coming back. Uh, actually, you're you're coming out from Providence. Now you have like a 24 hour turnaround, and now you got to catch a flight tomorrow to travel across the world to Geneva, Switzerland, represent the United States at the Palmer Cup. Now you're you're a veteran. You're a grizzled veteran here of amateur golf. This isn't your first rodeo. You know how to pack and get everything sorted out. But still, it's I mean, it's it's a little bit of a headache. Like, what do you take over there when they're supplying you with uniforms and bags? And I mean, how do you manage that nonsense? I mean, it's pretty easy. I just pack a couple of basketball shorts, a couple of t-shirts, you know, stay calm, cool, and collective while we're not doing that. Kind of have a couple of fun games and like a boardroom or card room, so forth. So Definitely have some casual wear, but besides that, you never know if it's going to rain or what the weather's like over there. So definitely going to have to bring a couple more jackets because I know they supplied us a few, but you never know. Well, you're heading to Switzerland out of, I mean, you're, you're, you know, I know, you know, born in Reno, Nevada, but you've been in California forever. And I mean, you're starting the game at, at La Costa and we'll actually talk a little bit more about La Costa, but give me a, just a, for listeners that are just kind of learning about your name, maybe they're familiar with what you did at Pepperdine winning a national championship two years ago. But, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about your start in San Diego and getting into the game of golf. Um, you know, you had a nice junior career, you know, a few wins on an AJJ level. But how did you get into the game of golf? Yeah, great question. So I pretty much, my whole family moved for me from Reno to San Diego just to kind of explore golf and give me some more opportunities. So that was really the start of it. And then I get to La Costa, don't really know anyone, not really good. And then my dad just helps take me to the next level in terms of pretty much grinding with me every day and kind of teaching me some new things. So that was good. But I mean, I was nothing coming here. And then finally kind of broke through on smaller, like San Diego junior golf tournaments. And I finally got to like Toyota tour cup, which is like another San Diego tournament, just above the San Diego and in between AJJ. So once I succeeded there, it kind of took off. I was like 16 to 17. Then I won my, actually, I won my first AJJ um, junior, like for the people under 15. I won that one El Kiki store and that was just huge. So I was pretty much didn't really have any reputation, didn't have absolutely anything. So I got my map, my name on the map barely with that small victory. And then kind of fast forward that next six months was pretty tough. Like freshman year of um, high school did absolutely nothing. Then sophomore year just kicked into gear. I started, I won um, Vista Valley to really get myself some full status on AJJ. And then I got to play invitationals and really meet the good guys. And then I kind of just threw myself in there and somehow got a couple top twenties and just kept uh, progressing and trending each year, just getting slightly getting better. 
Now, do you attribute that? Because I mean, there's a lot of juniors that listen to the podcast. Parents listen. Is is that a product not only of you improving your skill set in the game, but also being around better players and kind of you know as you're going up the 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 ranks and actually you know making strides, you're also I'm guessing running into guys that are better than you at the time. And you're probably getting beat more often than not and learning from that. I mean, would you say it's kind of equal as far as what helped your growth? Yeah, I would say it's definitely pretty close to equal. I think that something that a lot of people don't know is that LaCosta, Luke Potter, was obviously everyone's heard of his name. This pretty much his prodigy. I think he's 14 when I moved here, and he's beating me on a consistent basis. So that was really infuriating <laughs> to have this little 14-year-old come scrape it by me, hit it like 40 yards short than me and just beat me consistently day in, day out. And here I am doing the same work, the same grinding, everything. But every single day he gets better results and just constantly beating on me and putting me down. So I think that it's incredible to have him around and have that support system. Because we had a couple other juniors, like Kento Yamawaka, very good player, went to Cal for a couple of years and I was going to do some other stuff. And then a lot of people don't know Matt Peddington, but D2 player, San Marcos, is really good. I mean, I think just having these three or four really good players around, they help progress quite a bit, and that definitely helped me um, get a lot better. But, I mean, my dad had a big role in that, too. Besides grinding with these guys, you know, getting the right mechanics and fundamentals was key. Yeah, it's kind of – it's so interesting because there's players that come uh, come along at different uh, speeds and paces, and some are like, you know, like you said, Luke Potter. I mean, you know, just tons of success early on. He's he's going to be at Arizona State next year. And then there's some maybe like yourself where maybe a little bit less known, but you keep chipping away at it and chipping away at it. When did, uh, when did Pepperdine become, uh, you know, evident to you that it would be a place where you'd start your collegiate career? Yeah, definitely. They reached out after my freshman year, which is pretty late for the time because the rules were still, you could do whatever you want in college. And now those rules have changed to junior year. They can reach out. Right. So it was them, uh, Notre Dame, Ole Miss, Marquette, Arizona, San Diego State were like the top schools I was considering. And then they just sprouted out in terms of having Coach Beard and Blaine were just great options at the time. And I think that they're obviously going to be ranked one or two. So I was like, I have to submerge, submerge myself in this competition with Sahit Tagala, Clay Fegler, Josh McCarthy, Derek Hitchner, Joe Highsmith, Joey Versich. He transferred soon after I committed. Yeah. So it's just crazy to have all these guys in one place. And it's like, there's no other school that I'm going to get this kind of, not necessarily history, but just all these great competitive guys all in one place. Yeah, it was probably a wrestle for the coaches, and they're wondering. I don't even know how they really did it with scholarship and helping all of our needs because we're all really needy, and it was just unbelievable. And William Al, sorry, I forgot about him. I mean, superstar. Yeah, yeah, Walker, oh. Walker, Copper. Well, I mean, when you got you got so many great players on this team, and you mentioned Thagala, and this is it's so crazy. We're talking literally, like I said, we're talking on Sunday, the day after you win the Northeast Dam, and all that happened today was uh, Michael Theorbornson, who's still an amateur at Stanford, top fives at the Travelers PGA Tour event. Pearson Cootie has been a professional golfer for 25 days, and he just won a, a Corn Ferry Tour event. Cole Anderson, an amateur who's still at FSU, he T3'd at the Corn Ferry. And then we get to, to South, so he just narrowly missed out in winning his first PGA Tour event. The youth uh, movement uh, is, it's. I mean, for all the talk about 
older 40 year old players going to live or, or, you know, all that nonsense with the PGA tour and live tour. Um, there's so much energy around the youth, the youth of the, of the game. When you're coming in as a freshman and you got a guy like Sith Agala on your team who has, who's just been, I mean, dare I say it pretty legendary in California for, for some time. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of find your way and your little niche on that team? Yeah, I think it was really tough because I was trying not to step on anyone's toes. I mean, Clay and Josh, All-American, Soth, pretty much a two- or three-time All-American at the time. Yeah. I don't know what it was. But I was just trying to not step on everyone's toes because everyone, I mean, has an ego and everyone knows how good they are. And our team's just fantastic. So it's like we have seven or eight All-Americans potentially. So just like trying to find my spot. And I mean, on the fall season, I wasn't playing as good as I wanted to. But it seemed like I had no chance of playing with the team we had because every week we were switching in and out and everyone was playing so good. So I think the main thing I was trying to do was just kind of find my way. I mean, it was great to be there. And I learned so much from him and chipping. And he kind of started reaching out more and more as the season went on. As we became closer, the beginning was a little weird and so forth with everything and the transition. Yeah. But I think just moving on, all the guys like kind of helped me take them helped me go under their wing. Like Clay was definitely a big factor like that and kind of showed me under the ropes a little bit to see what college golf is really about. And then I was just trying to imitate Soth the spring semester because he was just, I mean, anything he did, it was the right thing. That's how we always said it. I mean, he won, I think, two or three times in the spring and then it got cut short. So, I mean, I expected he could have won a couple other times as well, bigger tournaments. So it was just insane. Yeah, I mean, that's a great thing to just kind of pass on to to people coming in for their first year of college golf or even hey, maybe maybe they're coming in for their second year or whatever it is, but I mean, is it is it kind of just working your ass off so that the seniors and the juniors and the upperclassmen kind of look down and say, "All right, this kid this kid wants it just as much as we do." I mean, cuz that's got to be something when you have new recruits coming in or transfers coming in, there is a little bit, I would imagine, there's that moment where they're like, all right, does, how bad does this guy want it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Because for me, I could put in more worth ethic than a couple guys. Definitely won't name them. But I really wanted it really bad. And yeah, I didn't get that opportunity. But I think another big integral role in that is in showing the coach that you're good enough to compete with the other guys. Because you're a freshman, you don't have the experience. They don't know how you'll do under pressure. They don't really know that much about you. Yeah, they recruited you and they know a pretty small basis about you, but showing to the coach that you can be as good as the other guys, compete with them on a day-to-day basis, and have like a good relationship with them is so important. Beyond just trying, you know, do uh, outwork them every day and just be the, your best you can be. So I think that was like the main things that not only am I trying to show these guys, yeah, I'm going to outwork you. Like It's kind of like Kobe mentality, and Soth had that. Like, I'm not working. If you come to, like, the golf course, I'm going to be there another hour working as hard as you and being more determined and more focused. So that was definitely, like, a strict mindset. But once the coaches see that, you have a good opportunity to play and start. So you that, that first season at Pepperdine is cut short due to COVID. And, and I, I mean, there could probably be an argument that that team was maybe better than the actual team the following year that won the national championship. You mentioned the guys, you know, Figler and Highsmith and – R.J. Mankey, who's now who just finished up at Washington, Mal, yourself, and 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 Verzich, um, you know, just for people that may not remember, uh, two years ago, 
you know, you guys win the national championship. Joe Highsmith goes 3-0 and in match play. He was your sixth guy coming in. I mean, he doesn't get in the lineup. Uh, you know, it's very possible he would never would have gotten the lineup. But, I mean, your sixth guy, you know, helps lead you to a national championship. Mm-hmm. I, I've talked to so many people about Greyhawk. I mean, this was the second year. Texas just won this year. This will be one more year next year where the national championship will be held there. And it's a conversation I've had with, with multiple people multiple times about how do you get acclimated to the desert conditions when you just don't play them very often throughout the year? You had success, obviously, 21, winning a national championship. You guys made match play mm-hmm. this past year. You're going to go to Greyhawk again next year, uh, hopefully for the national championship. What is your take on Greyhawk? How have you acclimated yourself where you've been successful there? I think a really big key is definitely staying hydrated. I mean, it's 105. <laughs> Don't tell me. Day. Dude, I know it. Oh, my God. It's awful. You bring back nightmares. I mean, 36 holes in this is like, it feels really bad. Joey showed me his strain. It's 99 percentile. <laughs> so for all the people who say golf isn't a sport, I mean, 99 percentile is pretty bad. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> and both times in the 36th day, I've played more than 36 holes because I tied my matches both times. So even make it harder on myself. Um, but acclimating to Greyhawk is simple. It's like you do not need your driver. Honestly, yeah. you can hit hybrid, two iron every single time, almost off every single hole and be just fine. And then it's just a lot of short iron. So it's like those two main two main factors that I focus on before. And the greens are an interesting state once you arrive because they're like half bent and then half um, overseed or whatever you want to call it the stuff still growing in the other grass. I forget what it's called, but it's just like really weird. And then they get them super baked. So it's just, once you get there, it's speed. I would say is the main factor wedges and then not needing your driver, which is interesting. I think it's a great venue. I just don't know if it fits like longer guys, for example, we'll say Thor, um, cause he nukes his driver and hits it straight, but it doesn't really help him hitting it 350. You know, if you hit it a foot in the rough, the rough's really thick and the fairways yeah. kind of, Promote promote your ball going in the rough like on hole twelve, which I think's incredibly hard. So I think it's an interesting venue. I think it's done well for the first two years, but I think a lot of people enjoy it and a lot of people are happy to see it go to La Costa. So I'm kind of in the middle. I don't really want to give too many harsh opinions or anything too bad. Well, yeah, I mean you've had success there. It's an interesting dynamic. I I would just see guys, you know, you're right off the tee. Driver is is an issue because it just there's so much carry, so much roll. I would often see guys just have like 172 to a pin. They they have a wedge in their hand, which which normally you're like that can't be the right club, but more mm-hmm. often than not it is. Then you have to land it, you know, 166, and you'd see guys, you know, juice one over the green because they think they have to hit their wedge hard, and then after the and then go to the next hole. And they're like, all right, I got to lay back on this. Then they flare it out to the right or the left. And it's just that constant battle of trying to get your short irons dialed in. Yeah, it is. It's just interesting, too. Like, it's also funny to watch the ball speed numbers because it's so hot. Like, Gordon hit 196 in the playoff. I think Burnett was 182 or something like that. But it's crazy to see him juice, too. So it's definitely good for TV to see, oh, man, these guys really hit it far. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's all... Regarding the weather. Oh, yeah, yeah. Forget about that. They don't need to know how dry and light it is out there and how hot it is. Just it's fine. These guys are just maniacs. They they just, you know, like like Sienkiewicz. I, I need to go see what Sienkiewicz's uh, ball speed out there is. I I would have to bet it's around 200 to 205 because I think he cruises at 98. 
So I bet you'd be 200, 205, which is crazy. Yeah. Him and him in the long drive contest at, uh, at Wanamoisa at the Northeast. I think, you know, it's very rare that you have guys at the college level say to me, have you seen this guy hit a ball yet? Like no one's mm-hmm. really talking about length that much because everyone hits it really far. And they were like, we want to see this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the Northeast. You just, you just defended your title. You know, last year you kind of had a pretty standard, you know, win. you won by two, very competitive, nice and close, big, huge amateur victory. And then this year, Dude, I don't even know what to say about this year. With I mean, every time I saw you come off the golf course, you kind of had this sheepish grin about you, almost like, I mean, it seemed like it was kind of comical. I mean, I don't, I didn't want, I don't want you to get the impression that I thought you were taking the whole thing lightly. But at some point, were you just like, like you mentioned blackout to me a handful of times? Mm-hmm. I mean, 62, 64, 64, 67. 257, 19 under, you won by nine over Phillips, set a new mm-hmm. tournament record by four. And like after the first round 62, you're like, yeah, I don't know what happened out there. I mean, it, can you explain what just happened at, at Wanamoisa? The first day was unreal. I mean, I was hitting it really good. I don't think I missed many fairway, many greens. And the back nine was Lydia blacked out. Like I had a lot of wedges. I hit it to a foot a couple of times and I'd make a 30 footer. So, I mean, I felt ter- terrible playing with Caleb. She just seeing me, a completely new player, essentially, literally a completely new player between the nines that one was struggling to somewhat make par and just, you know, make some birdies. And then the next nine, it's like a joke. Like, everything's falling. Like, I hit a bad putt and it would go in. So, it was just, you know, one of those days that you just black out and you just keep going. Yeah, I saw – I actually saw that a couple times. You You walked in a couple putts and not in a – like a, it wasn't like a Kevin Nog. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm this mm-hmm. good. I'm gonna walk it in. It was like, all right, I missed that putt. Let me just walk up and tap it in. I'm so pissed at myself. And oh, wait a minute, the ball went in. Um, I, I, you did that more than once. Yeah, it's definitely a bad habit. It's just I can usually feel it off the face. Oh, that's gonna be short on a couple of them, and somehow it'd get the last roll. I did it the last day two on seven. I had an awful putt. And Lee just trickled in. I was like, what? <laughs> Did then, not expect that to go in. And then and then I saw you run up, grab it out of the cup, and get the hell out of the way because you're like, oh, my gosh, this looked really bad probably. Yeah. it's so. I think it's disrespectful. It's pretty embarrassing, you know, hitting a bad <laughs> putt and having it go in and walking it in. Like 18, the third round to kind of keep – or second round, sorry, to keep bogey free. Yeah. I mean, that putt was short all day. No chance that ball was getting there, and then somehow it fell in the hole. But that was just insane. Uh, most amateur tournaments, the winner receives a trophy. That's kind of, we've talked about travel issues. It's kind of hard to put that in a suitcase, but a couple tournaments, you get a blazer. I know the junior invitational at Sage has that tradition. So does the Northeast amateur, very nice Navy blue blazer. You already Mm -hmm. got one. I'm hearing a rumor that you want a second because, Hey, you've won twice. Why not have another blazer? Um, you told me uh, a couple or yesterday that, you actually wear the blazer that you won last year. You've worn it out a couple times. Yeah, I, I do. it. This is not me being not humble, which isn't often. But when we go to a dinner, I'm definitely flexing that. Like at Augusta, I wore it. Thankfully, we had that opportunity with Pepperdine. But when I'm going out, you know, and I'm forced to wear this, because in California, we do not wear these suits or whatever right. on blazers on top. I'm wearing that thing. You know, I'm flexing. I'm showing, hey, this is a great accomplishment that I accomplished. This is my first big win pretty much in college and 
I'm showing you guys because I wore it at Sunny Hana too the week before. So I even had I even brought the jacket back at Northeast. So I had two of them in the bag coming home, which is another big flex. <laughs> did you did you ask them maybe can you can you can I have one with a different color or maybe can we put some pinstripes? I mean I got I got the solid navy one already. <laughs> yeah. I should have asked for a little color reiteration or something different, a little size difference or something. Because the first one's quite big the second one's a little better fitting okay but the first one's just hilarious that's why i also like wearing it are are you are you bringing it to uh to switzerland by any chance i do not think i can just because they provide us one sure so if i if i could i would i think that would be hilarious but i definitely would but sadly i can't so when you see someone shoot a 62 or finish a tournament double digit under par and, and, you know, really you know run away with it. I think probably the, the average golf fan right now is thinking, okay, the, you know, this guy Minetti has to be a bomber. He just outdrove everyone by 40 and he's just hitting, you know, 40 yard flip wedges into par fours and he's got seven irons into par fives, but Juana Moisit is not that type of track. It's, it's, par, mm-hmm. it's par 69. It's a little shorter. The ruck, the rough is thick. The greens are slick. Um, you know, if you're above the hole, you're, you, I mean, I've, I've seen multiple players above the hole and it's literally whatever you're doing, it's defensive. Um, mm-hmm. How do you, I mean, how did you attack this course in a way that allowed you to shoot these scores? And is it, I mean, can, obviously you're not, you know, you're not a bomber. I mean, you're not short off the tee, but it's not like someone's like, oh, oh my gosh, like Manetti just flew mm-hmm. this and flew that. How did you, did you just basically play the course as you saw it right in front of you? So, yeah, with the redesign is a little different than last year, but a lot of the bunkers are placed at like 300 to 310, which is perfect for me. Because as you said, I'm not a bomber and I hit it 280 to 290. So all I'm trying to do is hit it straight right now this whole week. So the bunk, the driver off the tee was definitely an advantage because I almost hit driver off every hole where other guys were pulling out three wood, you know, maybe a little more uncomfortable. But I'm really, I really like my driver. I really try to hit as much as I can. Like at Floridian this year, I have a stinger shot. So, I was really trying to throw all my driver shots in there, which really helped. Because, I mean, even if you hit in the rough, if you're getting as far as you can down there, it helps so much. And then beyond that, the pins were exactly the same. So I know exactly what to do from last year in terms of, oh, this one you got to be aggressive, this one you don't. So all the ones that I thought I should be aggressive, this year I really took advantage of. And then obviously the ones you can't be hit to 30 feet, and my putter was super hot. And my speed was great. So sometimes they even made those putts that weren't expecting a birdie on the tougher pins. Um, but beyond that, the main thing for me this year was just getting in, making one birdie and then getting in a streak. So once I made one, I knew a lot more were coming right after just because I got a little more confidence and then even a hair more aggressive when I shouldn't have been. Well, yeah, you had a great college season. I mean, you won individually at Valspar and, and also at, um, uh, at the Western Intercollegiate at Paso Tiempo. Um, I want to, I want to ask you another thing about, about your time here at the, or your time, your win at the Northeast. Um, I read an article where you basically said, you know, there's a lot of ways to play the game of golf and there's no one way to play a good round and, you know, maintaining composure when you're, when part of your game is off, it has to be, you know, paramount to be successful because you, you, you just can't hit it perfect and, and, you know, be perfect around the greens four consecutive days for the most part you shot 62 in the first round and i remember you saying to me after you shot 64 in the second round that it was much more of a struggle than the first day and you know while the difference on the scorecard is is minimal it's just two strokes 
you know, that, that grind of a second round, how do you kind of keep around going and actually not just save around, but actually get under par? How do you keep it going when you don't have your best stuff? That's a great question. Um, the main thing for me is just staying calm. I think keeping a calm mental attitude is the one, number one aspect. Because, you know, like the second round, I hit my irons pretty bad compared to the first round. I mean, it's probably average compared to like the other guys. But the main thing for me was staying calm. So when I had like a tough chip, you know, I got this. I've hit these shots all the time in the rough and just staying confident in that aspect as well. I really relied on my chipping the second day. I hit in a lot of weird spots and definitely did not expect to get those things up and down those sh- shots, but staying calm and knowing it had it in me was great is that's definitely what helped me get those shots up and down that I wouldn't expect to or kind of nervous or anxious about. So that was like the main thing, I think. Just staying calm is you don't want to get ahead of yourself and say, oh, man, the tournament's over. I just made one bogey when it's really only 36 holes in. Right, yeah. You had an 11 shot. This is so crazy. You had an 11 shot lead going into the last day, and you're paired with Gordon Sargent, who is, I mean, he's the NCAA individual champion. And you know, you're you're very serious about your game, and so is Gordon. I mean, you're you're both. I mean, gosh, you're 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 both top 10 in the world right now. Or, or actually, next week, once all the rankings reshuffle, you're going to be you you're going to be a top 10 player in the world. At that point, when you're up by 11, I mean, what is kind of the dynamic between you and Gordon out there? I mean, I know he's focused on his game and he wants to kind of, you know, lock up a, a second place finish or, or make sure that he plays his best. You want to do the same. But is there a point where you're just you're talking out there and you're I mean, you're I don't know if he finds it funny, but it's got to be a little bit comical, just like, OK, I'm 11 shots out of the lead. Let's go play hard. I mean, how do you guys both handle that? Forget about him. But just like, how do you handle that? Mm-hmm. I think I definitely was a little more talkative. I was trying to have a better time, kind of like ease into it in the beginning. Yeah. So I still wanted to play well. I, don't, I think last year I shot under par every round as well when I won. So that was the goal, just to shoot under par again. And I didn't expect, obviously, anyone to go crazy and catch me. So I just want to stay calm. I mean, we talked about like Scotty Cameron, Circle T. I'm kind of a fanboy for that kind of stuff. And sure. he's had the opportunity to visit a couple guys who have have some stuff and he has some really cool stuff including putter and his head cover right now so i mean that was cool just to talk about that for a little bit but i mean i tried to leave him alone on the back nine because i wanted him to obviously progress and get that second place finish and so forth so i think the front nine was a lot a lot of fun just like uh, chatting here and there you know something i I didn't do in the first three rounds i try to be more open and have a better time so i think the first three rounds are just clear determination in my point of view now i'm trying to win this i'm trying to defend and really had that vision and the last day obviously with the commanding lead is a lot easier to do that but that was probably the main thing and how was having dad on the bag i know he was on the bag last year during your win but uh Mm -hmm. what's the dynamic with your dad on the bag it's interesting so to be honest i mean sometimes it's great having him there and sometimes it's like ooh, i don't know if i like your opinion as much as mine that he gets (laughs) Then he gets mad at me for saying, oh, I should have trusted your guts. You know, you're the one hitting the shots and so forth. But that's all you have a caddy to console with. Like the last round, the third round, I don't know if you saw this, but I had like an 18-footer putting unbelievable on the back. I said, this putt's left edge. She said, no, I think it's right edge. So I go with his line, lip out right side, and right after the putt, I said, dad, really? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I give it to him when I think he's wrong which isn't that often, but when he's wrong, I think he's got to admit it because sometimes he gets mad at me saying, 
you know, you're hitting the, you're hitting the shot. So you got to commit to it. You got to commit to your number. But I think it's interesting dynamic. I mean, it's great to have him on the back as a club swing, pretty much my coach. Yeah. Just my whole life. Cause I hit quite a few like shots uh, with irons, the second and third round there were like, Whoa, I don't know about that. And then he'd give me a quick fix and I'd start striping it again or I forget about it. So I think it's great to have a dad just to keep me calm and so forth, help me with my swing. But at times you get that aspect of, oof, I don't know if I trust you on this one. You know, I might stick with my number. And then if I do something wrong, I'm getting it. Or if he's wrong, he's getting it. So it's definitely a lot of agitation off shots. And more on that's like the U.S. Open section. I missed it by one and I made one double really dumb double the entire 36 round day. And it was on the third hole is 121. The flag I'm saying, dad, I think this is 123 shot. And he says 128. So I hit it 128, 127, I think goes in the rough and then just make a terrible mistake after that. But I was like, dad, really? <laughs> not, not that you remember any of the details of that. I mean, not that it's, it's burning in your mind. Well, okay. So your dad's in the bag and it sounds to me that it's a good dynamic because you're keeping him accountable. He's holding you accountable. So that's really what you want out there. I want so you mentioned he's your, your swing coach. Now, anyone that follows amateur golf that walks down the range, you know, you see a lot of swings that look very, very similar, same positions. Yours is a little bit different, a little bit flatter, and you have your, your, your own unique movement uh, on the ball. How, I mean, I guess I've asked this question to other guys that have, have unique golf swings where, you have to own it, and I guess it's one thing to own it when you're just playing junior golf and everyone's kind of finding their way, but now you're playing you know, high-level Division I golf, high-level amateur invitationals. At some point, you have to really own your swing and not let you know, other people's swings interfere with your thought process. Has it, been, has it been difficult for you to say, no, no, this is my swing, this is my approach to the game, I'm going to hit driver stingers when maybe everyone else is trying to launch the ball as high as possible has it been a struggle for you ever to really just say no this is me yeah that's a great question it has been because at times growing up and struggling when i was like 16 and my freshman year or whatever 15 or 16 freshman or sophomore year of high school is just like eh, i don't know if i should keep going this because it's really old school in terms of lag and yeah Luke potter and i are the only people Currently in our generation, it seems like that employ this swing. It's really similar moves. Um, you're which is- absolutely right. I didn't, you know, I should have picked up on that, but you're hundred percent right. And now that you mentioned that you guys are the same club and kind of growing up together, you're hundred percent right. They're very similar moves. Yeah. I think we definitely learned some things from it, but now it's like, you have to own it. At times I try to get less laggy because it's just the tempo is not great. And that's a problem with our swings that one day, I'll be striping it like the first round at Wanamoisa Northeast. And then the last day it gets a little quick or club face gets a little close, tempo slightly off. And there it goes. It starts going left a little bit. And it's just super frustrating in terms of that. I think that's why I've had a little disparity between like the fall and the spring. Cause the spring this year was a lot more tied up in college where the fall was a little more loose and a couple 40th finishes would the spring. I didn't have many of those. So I think that's the big problem and the hard thing to justify is owning your swing. But at this point, I mean, I made it so far, it's definitely not going to change and that's going to be different. I'm definitely not going to be a Gordon Sargent having 193 to 196 ball speed and piercing <laughs> off the face. Mine's a little low bleeder cut. Hopefully with driver, it's like 170 ball speed. So it's just a completely different game that I have to own. 
Well, it's clearly, uh, I mean, I guess it's safe to say when you're on, you're on because, I mean, everyone at this at the Northeast, I mean, guys that are, I mean, you know the field. It's the it's the top amateurs in the world that are there. And, and I mean, I would just ask them periodically. I'm like, what do you think about what's going on right now? And they're just shaking their head. They're like, it's, I mean, a lot of people, not just players, but, you know, staff or, or members that want to moist it were just like, they're kind of shaking their head. They're like, I, I don't, like, this doesn't make any sense for a guy to run away with this the way the way you did mm-hmm. um so congrats on the win and and i know and we're going to talk a little bit about the rest of your collegiate career i know you're heading to, to switzerland tomorrow for the palmer cup and then i mean gosh you got you know you have a senior season of college golf you you've transferred from 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 pepperdine to unc north carolina and i know that a lot of the guys on that team were there at the Northeast. You had David Ford, you had, Bur- you had Ryan Burnett, you had Peter Fountain. Um, Greaser wasn't there. He took the week off because he played in the U.S. Open. Have you spent a lot uh-huh. of time around those guys previously, or was this kind of their first in-person introduction to you? So before we played them in match play, obviously this year or so, I got to know Ryan Burnett pretty well. I mean, I've talked to him quite a bit. And then I know Ryan Smith, who hasn't made the lineup in a little bit, but he was also at La Costa for a long time. So I know those two guys really well, but I think it was the first time I really talked to Peter and David because I really, I knew them. I played with Peter one day at Nationals, but I had really no idea his intention, morale, really anything deep about him. So I think this was definitely an introduction week to meet them. It was, and I don't, like, I've never played with David Ford either, so it was really cool to meet him and kind of see him because he's definitely not an ordinary kid. A lot of talent. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, kind of the landscape of college golf right now. It seems like a lot of the summers, you know, players enter the transfer portal. Um, you know, it's kind of something that is somewhat new in college golf where a player can basically announce to any team in the country that that they are potentially open to to leave their their current school and go to another school to play college golf you know it's it's kind of the landscape right now there's a lot of factors outside of you know college golf there's pga tour u there's there's all sorts of different opportunities that will arise after your eligibility runs out there's a covid year there's all these different things and um i thought it'd be a great opportunity for you for perhaps players that are listening parents that are listening that maybe don't know enough about the transfer portal or decisions that go on uh, behind the scenes as to, to why someone would transfer. Perhaps you can talk about your story as to why you're, you're transferring from Pepperdine to play golf at, uh, at North Carolina. Yeah. So first I'll start kudos all to Pepperdine and all the staff and everything they did for me. Cause they did a lot obviously to get me from the level from like 610 on Wagger to like 15 to 20. So obviously they did something right, but over the culmination of three years, there's just a lot of factors that led up to me leaving in that regard. And I think it's just college is a time where you want to be happy and you're obviously trying to become the best person you can be as a golfer and as a person and kind of finding yourself in this journey. So if a place isn't right for you, it's not a bad step to say, hey, I'm going to try this transfer portal. But before entering, it's essential to know that Essentially, you have to call your coach and you're telling him, or not call him, but you can obviously go to him in person saying, hey, this isn't working out. You know, I'm really sorry. That's really hard. But you got to know that you can't go back to that school. So that was one thing that I thought I was like, man, I really love Pepperdine, but can I really leave it? So I love, I love, for me, it's all about routine. And that's what Pepperdine, I established that. I knew where every class was. I knew 
some professors, I knew exactly where I was going to park, eat, so forth. I'm really routinely based. So that was going to be really hard for me just to get, get up all of a sudden and leave and go to a, the whole other side of the country in the East Coast. So I think beyond that, just knowing, you know, you can't rely on Pepperdine to give you back, give my back, sorry, give back my scholarship back to me if I left, which was not an option. So once you leave, it's you're all in. That's one thing I would tell parents and that is that you really have to be set on this isn't a joke. You know, this is pretty much your livelihood. If you want to get better, you're going to have to transfer either to a better school or a better academic school, depending on what career and life path you want to take. So I think that's really important. And then beyond that, the transfer portal is so easy to enter. It's a couple of forms, a module, a couple other forms, and it's just really basic. You get your name out there. Coaches are contacting you, and you're responding. You're chatting to them. You obviously want to visit, see their facilities. Pretty self-explanatory. I think that if someone is definitely looking to go into it, you really have to be set on going there and set on trying something new because that's going to be the key is that everything's going to be new, so you have to acclimate. And it might be a culture shock for the first month or so if you do transfer, but you really have to be set on your decision. Well, it, it it's definitely something that that different you know players will have to kind of go through and and kind of weigh the pros and cons. Um, you have to be excited though to go to to really. I mean, it sounds like they're just kind of. I mean, Ryan Gerard turns pro, they lose him, and it's like they're plugging you in, kind of mm-hmm. similar to how Oklahoma lost Quade Cummins and then plugged in Goddard up. You have to be excited not only about the opportunity just to go to a different school, but all just to get a new uh, a viewpoint. But but you're not you're not going into a team that's that's lacking. I mean, you're you're entering a team that, I mean, hell, they made match play last year. I mean, they're pretty much right there, ready to go. Yeah, I definitely wanted to choose a team that I could immerse myself with, like really good peers. That was like the same thing I chose Pepperdine. I want to choose the best team where I can be to learn from these guys. Not necessarily if they teach me something, but just seeing their mechanics, seeing how they practice picking up a few things along the way to help all of us get better collectively because yes, it's a team sport or yes, it's an individual sport. You have an individual score, but it's a team overall accountability and basis. So I saw UNC is the best fit beyond that. The coaches are great. I think that Dibadetto can help me a lot from the Bermuda. Cause that's what Finley is the uh, UNC's home course. Yeah. So I need a lot of work there. So I saw that as another really good option and they're building uh, new holes, 10 and 11 and putting their facility there. So that's just a plug for them, for me saying like, yeah, the facility is going to be great. If not, if it's not like top 10 right now, it, should, it will be next year. So I think it's just great going to a school, you know, great facility, great guys just to help me get better and then great coaches. So it's like, what can go wrong if I have all this stuff leading up? And beyond that, it's academically, it's challenging, but it's not overly rigorous as Pepperdine was. Pepperdine felt like a U- UCLA or USC, which is really hard. Yeah. And, Especially when you want to make golf a priority. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you have to be realistic about why you're in school. I mean, obviously, you want to get an education, you want to get the degree to always have and fall back on. Uh, you know, should things not go your way, uh, you know, playing professional golf. But then again, you also want to make sure you're at a place where, hey, you know, the first job you want out of college is is a professional golfer. So you need to kind of get yourself set up for that if that's your reality. And then beyond that, with PGA Tour U, I feel like that your team has to make nationals with triple points on the board the last tournament it's like if you don't make that that's a huge disadvantage because a guy who gets is 15 or 20 even wins he's top five so that's one spot gone if you take that in consideration i think that unc will have a great opportunity obviously with our team being stacked and i think our worst player on the top five if it goes how it is and everyone plays it's gonna be like 65 
which is unreal. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are all, all really, really strong players and sounds like a great summer uh, is, is in store for you. I know you're heading over to Switzerland. What else is, what else is on your schedule this summer? Uh, obviously a U.S. amateur and, and with your high wagger ranking, you're exempt into just about anything you want to play in. So uh, what's the rest mm-hmm. of your summer look like before heading to Chapel Hill? So since I won Floridian, I got an exemption to 3M PGA Tour Tournament. So super excited to make my debut there in three weeks. And two weeks later, I got Western and then USAM. So just three more. But, I mean, I started off hot with three in a row. So it's a lot of golf. Well, um, try and enjoy uh, Switzerland. I mean, I know there's golf to play, but that that has to be. I mean, I know you played Palmer Cup last year, but, you know, with it being a home game, I think where is it Bay Hill last year, right? Is that where you were? It was Rich Harvest for Rich us. Harvest. Well, d- interesting venue, but it definitely felt like home. Not many spectators, but, man, it was a sick course. <laughs> but this year going to Switzerland, uh, I know the flight's going to be a pain, but uh, – uh, that that's a I mean who who did you play with uh, last last year because uh, it's it's both it's both men and women who did you partner mm-hmm. up last year uh, in some of your matches? So I had Brooke Matthews from Arkansas and we were first off. We played Eugenio Chikara and then Issa Fierro and that was probably my favorite match. Even though we got killed, I think we lost four and three. <laughs> it was the fastest fifteen holes I've ever played. It's like two hours because everyone's quick. And Eugenio was playing great. I think he shot bogey-free seven under. I shot three. And it was just a domination battle. We got killed. And then right after, we have two rain delays. So we got killed four and three, the only team that finished before the rain delay, first one. And we were waiting there for six more hours. (laughs) So it just powdered on over time. And then next, I got the opportunity to play with Ricky Castillo. Then that was nice. Um, It was alternate shot for that one. And then my... Third match was me and Lauren Hartledge, and that was alternate shot. So that was really hard. Um, she's from Louisville. We won that one, which was really cool. I won with Ricky, too. Lost the first one, obviously. And then the last one, I played against David Pooge and lost three and two, and he killed me on the green. But, I mean, it was a great time. It was a good match. And playing a Spaniard, he gets fired up. So it was great. <laughs> yes, he does. You mentioned playing fast. You actually I, – I, I can't believe I didn't get to this. You are probably one of the quickest players uh, I've seen in college golf and amateur golf. I mean, you, you play very, very quickly and that has to be a little bit of a challenge because, you know, I guess there's no delicate way to put it, but you know, college golf can be pretty damn slow sometimes. Mm-hmm. How do you battle against that? I think the hardest is practice rounds because oh, in terrible. college, if you don't, for all the people who aren't in college, just get ready for a six hour round and the coaches expect you to be mentally intelligent the entire time is a nice way to put it. Uh-huh. You got to be doing something to get yourself better for the next day. So six hours of grueling slow pace. And I mean, they want you hitting specific shots. They want you hitting specific putts. So I think that's really hard challenging, but beyond that, I mean, some college events beyond Northeast and beyond uh, summer events are really slow, five and a half, six hours. So I'm trying to stay pretty much away from the golf shot as much as I can in between the shot, which is really interesting to think about. You know, I'm trying to have my mind divert somewhere else when I'm not hitting the shot. But obviously once I'm in the shot, I want to think for my 10 to 15 seconds, here we go, boom, and then hit. So it's really hard to do, but I think I've kind of gotten down over the last couple of years and been able to like zone out essentially when I'm not hitting my shot and can kind of say whatever, try to get a conversation, you know, to keep it interesting because it's a long round. You can't just, be quiet and focus the entire time. 
I think I've gone better at it, but I've definitely tried to get a little slower. Is that Nationals last year, um, or two years ago now, small house, I came up to me and said, man, you're I played hole 17, a hole ahead, because someone had like a ruling on 16. He said, this is not acceptable <laughs> in collegiate golf. So that was pretty intimidating for sure, especially from a guy like him and all the success and history he has. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's been fun to, to catch up and fun to watch what you do at the Northeast. I know you're going to jump on a flight tomorrow and, and go represent the United States, which is a you know, huge honor and, and well-deserved. I'll, uh, I'll get you out of here on this one. Let's fast forward a year. Dream scenario, the University of North Carolina is in the final for the national championship against Arizona State. And you're going up against Luke. We already know where I'm going with this. You're go- and you're going up against Luke Potter in your singles match. So, if you beat Luke, or let's say Luke beats, I'm sorry, Luke beats you, but North Carolina wins the national championship, is I mean that's going to be kind of tough because he's going to hold it over your head that he beat you in singles, but you're going to have the national championship. Is there really? There's probably no way to win on that one right i mean that that's that's kind of it's great to win another national championship but you can't have luke potter holding something over your head can you no so we have this thing called best player rule that costs them it's essentially whoever is like playing the best whoever is the best ranking so obviously currently i beat him by 21 last week <laughs> <laughs> but oh just God. to throw that out there side note but i definitely have to maintain control of this I, there's no way i can let his pride and ego take over i'll just be the end of me Especially if it's my last collegiate tournament. If I do turn pro the next year or wait another year, that cannot happen. So instead of having this scenario, I'll just have I win the match by a significant amount and we win. So there won't be anything being held over my head, and that'll be a perfect scenario. Uh, okay, good. Because see, I'm 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 not. I'm just going to say the question, but I don't want you to answer it because I know that your coaches at North Carolina would hear this. But it sounds, yeah, don't answer this. I was going to say it sounds to me that as long as you beat Potter. That's really the most important thing. And if UNC loses the national championship, that's just a side note. Don't answer that. That's a trick question. Don't do that. Don't don't even answer that. <laughs> um, all right, let's get you out of here. Safe travels over to Switzerland. Go represent the United States. I will uh, I will see you later on this summer at the Western at the USAM. Congrats on a great Northeast Amateur um, back-to-back. And uh, appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Safe travels, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. appreciate your time. And there you have it. Special thanks to Dylan Minetti for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Best of luck to him and the entire USA team as they travel to Switzerland for the Palmer Cup. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. That's also where you pick up your merch to support what we do around here. And we'll see you next time here at the back of the range.